Andre. Kia ora. Kia ora. And you're in Perth, are you? I am these days, originally from the uh, Kapiti Coast. I don't know if, the, if you'd find this insulting, but would you call yourself a train spotter? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, the, the sort of people who will stand inside for hours with a camera, which I will confess to, to, you know, I find it quite peaceful. Well, train travel is hardly peaceful in New Zealand right now. The commute was just really, really, really bad. That was awful. It's incompetence by Kiwi Row. This is a failure, make no mistake about that. That was after Wellington's train chaos. Then in the same week... The entire Auckland train network went down. Auckland commuters, tens of thousands of them, left uh, unable to get to work or wherever they needed to. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, Kiwi Rails fails. Just keep chugging on. Not just disruptions in two cities, but a bad report on the Kaitaki Ferry all in one week. But let's stick to the trains. What is going on and can we ever hope to ride in a train at 320 kilometres an hour, like this one in Japan? You'll get your answer to that at the end from Andre Brett. He lectures in history at Curtin University in Perth, but his passion for trains comes from his childhood. He wrote the book, Can't Get There From Here, New Zealand Passenger Rail Since 1920. Well, I think I recognise, you know, realise the importance of rail as a very young age growing up on the Carpety Coast where, you know, you buy the North Island main trunk, you've got the Wellington Tramway Museum, you've got Steam Incorporated in Paikakariki with the heritage trains and you see what rail has meant to New Zealand. The fact, you know, we, we had EVs from the 1920s. They were electric trains, not electric cars. Uh, and uh, I've always been fascinated by Wellington's uh, electric trains that were that we've had in the capital since 1938. So, Andre, let's look at now. You will have seen the stories of the last week or so, and it just feels like week after week after week we hear about some other problem, not just in Wellington but in Auckland or some other part of the country. Is it all about underinvestment? Yeah, so the challenge that Kiwi Rail uh, faces is that we've had decades of underinvestment uh, in the railway network and policies since the 1950s that have focused very single-mindedly on roads. And so that's not going to be turned around overnight. We are at a substantial, uh, you know, disadvantage that there is a lot of just essential maintenance uh, that still needs to be caught up on, never mind uh, expansion to have a proper 21st century railway rather than one that still reflects, uh, you know, the transport patterns and engineering techniques of the 19th century. Nonetheless, the last few years have had, you know, what has felt like one blunder after another. Uh, And it's starting to get to the point where I am feeling somewhat less generous to Kiwi Rail having a difficult position and wondering how many problems are problems of its own making or of just a New Zealand institutionalised incapacity to 
operate a modern expanding rail network, either in terms of the people who are operating it, the institutions that run it, or, you know, the political will uh, to encourage that expansion. So when you say one blunder after another, are you talking about uh, incompetence? Well, the the shutdown in Wellington is quite staggering, really. Almost 200 train services were cancelled. The rest had to travel under 70 kilometres per hour after KiwiRail's only track evaluation car broke down. That does underline the fragility uh, of our network when we come to rely on a single piece of equipment. Not only has the one and only 40-year-old track evaluation car apparently been broken down when we needed it, but that it appears that some of the uh, inspections of the network were not scheduled until after the deadline for compliance anyway. It's pretty useless when you, when you know it's one piece of equipment in the country that's failed. And as my husband described, it's like a warrant fitness that they've obviously run right down timing-wise. So unimpressed. You can understand why uh, the local mayors and uh, Michael Wood as Minister for Transport absolutely hit the roof. That is a, is a real burden on those families. Um, I'm feeling hacked off on behalf of them and other commuters. And have ordered a rapid review into what went wrong and what needs to change to ensure that this does not happen again. But it did in Auckland, and this time KiwiRail blamed the weather. Here's CEO Peter Reedy. This was not a maintenance issue. This was not a failure. I've spoken to the Deputy Mayor. All our inspections were up to speed. Our annual cleaning was up to speed. This was grit that got into an insulator due to high humidity. Has it always been a bit of a mess, though, the, the New Zealand railway network? No, uh, the New Zealand Railway Network has evolved over time and with different operating structures to suit, you know, the needs of particular periods of our history. At the moment, we have what appears to be a fairly convoluted setup, and there are certainly some questions that might need to be asked about, you know, the exact structure. Uh, and Parliament's Transport and Infrastructure Committee has been considering some of these questions. That is very fragmented and disjointed and so there is a real um, dysfunctional nature to how the industry actually works. Emma Hatton is Newsroom's political reporter. We've got Kiwi Rail which is the entity that owns and manages the tracks and all the bits that go with it, so the barrier arms, the signals, etc, the, the, the almost 4,000 kilometres of track. They also look after the country's freight business, which is the biggest part of its business. Um, and then they've got a bunch of other things that they do as well. So they obviously look after the inter-islander ferries. They've got the tourist um, sort of scenic trains. They operate a couple of inter-regional services as well. Um, and then they're um, in charge of, I guess, providing support for the rail passenger services that are in Auckland and Wellington. And then if you look at regionally, you've got regional councils taking responsibility for the provision of passenger rail in those areas. And then beneath that, you've got um, sort of various contracts that have gone out to manage different parts of the system. So, for example, in Wellington, Greater Wellington Metlink has contracted out its you know, provision of train services to an overseas company called Transdev. So they're responsible for employing the staff and that kind of thing. And then on top of all of it, you've got NZTA Waka Kotahi as the rail regulator. 
then you've kind of got Kiwi Rail as a state-owned enterprise um, with its own sort of governmental oversight and accountability. So there's a lot of different players all getting into the same spaces and sometimes their aims and I guess their lines of organisation and accountability don't seem to match up and they're on different pages. Of course, that's Wellington, but rail lines in Auckland seem to be down every other weekend. Yeah, and I mean, the the issues in Auckland are huge. Users of Auckland's rail network can expect major disruptions over the next few years as a $330 million upgrade plan gets underway to prepare for the opening of the City Rail Link. Kiwi Rail's um, decided that the network needs to undergo basically a major rebuild. They're digging up the tracks and the sleepers, they're replacing foundations, they're putting in drainage. That'll see entire sections of track across the city shut and rebuilt, some of which hasn't been renewed since the 1870s. It's not a surprise in the sense that we have known for a long time, obviously it's not a secret that there has been years of underinvestment in rail and in particular in the metro areas of the track maintenance because um, freight is such a huge part of Kiwi Rail's business that I guess any money has been going to maintaining the, the high traffic freight routes for it so that it can keep up those operations. Uh, in 2021, with Auckland Rail, when again after the back of system disruption, um, it was something called rolling contact fatigue, which basically meant there was wear and tear on the tracks that meant it was a safety issue and the trains couldn't run. This review was commissioned to find out a, you know, what had gone on here, but also b, was it a wider systems issue that had led to this failure? And and yes. The the event that's happened, so in Auckland, say the rolling contact fatigue, or in Wellington, the, the track evaluation car not being scheduled properly and breaking down, those are, I would say, symptoms of something that's actually deeper and, uh, and a systemic issue that needs to be addressed. For most of New Zealand's railway history, uh, the network has been run by a government department. Um, This was established during the 19th century and existed until 1982. Uh, That was when the government department was corporatised. It was then uh, turned into a state-owned enterprise and privatised in 1993. The experience of a private monopoly was deeply unedifying. That uh, this led to uh, asset stripping, short-term focus on extracting maximum financial gain for the owners, uh, and without any concern for the long-term viability of the network. And so that's why it was renationalised in 2008. The government has taken back ownership of the country's ferry and train service after final negotiations ran late into the night. It's now called Kiwi Rail and will be chaired by the former National Prime Minister Jim Bolger. Under the deal, the government pays toll holding $690 million and takes on debt of nearly $120 million. Jim Bolger, who was Prime Minister when the rail network was privatised, acknowledges there's some irony in him being appointed chair of Kiwi Rail, but says things have changed. The old system of having New Zealand Railways as one large government department suited the needs of New Zealand for many decades, where railways would not have returned an immediate profit 
on working or capital expenditure um, to make it viable for private investment. Uh, you know, the, the returns are over too long a time period. But at the same time, railways were necessary for the expansion of the New Zealand economy. And so that's why New Zealand, much like all the Australian states, established government-run railways. So this was essential infrastructure that we had to invest in for national benefit. Nowadays, with the more broken down structure, it recognises that some aspects of service provision, such as commuter railways, are often better understood and run by local agencies who have that direct skin in the game. It's probably likely that had we had, uh, you know, local governments involved in passenger rail operation in the 20th century, we would still have commuter rail in Christchurch and Dunedin. You wouldn't have had a bureaucracy in Wellington who decided that, no, this wasn't worth having, that it seemed very peripheral to their operations. And so Christchurch lost its uh, suburban trains in the 1970s uh, and Dunedin lost them in the early 80s. So it's almost like, you know, we, we kind of fell in love with the car and forgot about the the train and and the importance of it, not just as a passenger service, as a great uh, public transport system for commuters and whatnot, but also as a way of getting freight and stuff around the country. Correct. In many respects, uh, passenger rail is the front window, the, you know, the shop window of the railways uh, that... Generally, passengers don't tend to show, uh, you know, a profit on working, uh, whereas freight is the bread and butter of railways. The worse passenger rail gets or the fewer services that are offered in fewer places, then, you know, people are engaging less with the network. There was a Royal Commission in 1952 that emphasised that bad passenger service or contracting passenger services was an indirect way of actually losing freight uh, custom as well. To me, it seems what what's happened is that while other countries have kind of moved ahead and developed their railways and made good use of them, New Zealand hasn't. So what would it take for Kiwi Rail to come up to scratch, to be a sort of a service of 2023. Yeah, there certainly needs to be a change in mindset and, you know, the political will and the readiness of governments to fund the infrastructure, to recognise that railways provide an essential public service and that we should fund them on that basis. When we talk about funding, how much money? Billions? Well, for, for example, there was a study done to examine electrifying uh, the entirety of the North Island main trunk. It's currently, there are three disconnected sections that are electrified. So there's a proposal to complete the electrification of the North Island main trunk and electrify to Tauranga and to Masterton and acquire new rolling stock. This would modernise core parts of the network and the estimated cost was around about $1.5 billion. Now, we shovel billions upon billions of dollars every year into road construction and maintenance. And we don't ask the state highway network to be returning profits. We recognise that this is important for our transport and we need to do the same with rail. So what what's your thinking, Andre, from a distance, looking at what's going on here in New Zealand? 
Do you have any faith that our rail system will be brought up to scratch and that we won't have these continuous negative stories about it? It is a challenge sometimes to remain optimistic that better things are possible. Uh, But certainly I was heartened by the announcement of new rolling stock for the passenger services to Masterton and to the Manawatu. 18 new trains will be deployed to Kapiti Coast and Wararapa to replace the current ones which date back to the 1970s. Uh, The existing rolling stock clapped out. They've been refurbished within an inch of their life and... uh, we need to buy new trains now or those services will die. They'll operate using electricity wires, batteries and fuel, reducing emissions. Hopefully it will provide the basis for wider expansion of intercity and regional services in New Zealand. I think that also because of the you know increasing realities of climate change that we cannot ignore uh, the most energy efficient form of transport sport and that there is you know increasing interest among New Zealanders in developing more sustainable forms of transport. For the fifth time since last week a protest group wanting to restore passenger rail has blocked a main highway calling for the government to urgently reinstate the transport network. Uh, Everyone off the road please this is a road We do need to try to have a more mature and robust discussion about transport rather than making it this political football or stereotypes where, you know, the right wing is pro-car and the left wing is pro-rail. My own personal view is the infrastructure should be uh, run by a public non-profit body in a reasonably similar way to how roads are maintained. Then you could have local and regional passenger transport um, operate by local councils. They could make choices about whether they want to own those directly in public hands or if they want to franchise them out to private operators. You could continue to have Kiwi Rail as a state-owned enterprise seeking to operate tourist trains and essential freight services and be subsidised to operate freight services where the private sector might not be interested, but we recognise we need to get trucks off local roads or support local industries and regions, but also we could allow private operators as they see opportunities to come in and run their own trains as well and stimulate competition and innovation. But rather than having a monopoly, but by opening up the system and having it maintained for all users, we can hopefully try to at least avoid some of the problems that we've had in the past. So I think this deserves at least serious consideration. Well, this government has given it serious consideration with its 2021 rail plan, which set out the long-term vision for rail. The most important thing that it sort of gave the industry was a commitment to the growth of the sector. And I guess that's important because if you're thinking about things like retaining talent and workforce and expertise, people want to know that they are coming to a country or staying in a country that is, you know, there's going to be that employment opportunity there for them. So for that side of it, it was quite important because it signalled an intention that this was going to be a massive government priority to not only restore 
and maintain what we have, but actually grow the rail services that we have in New Zealand. And so Future of Rail was designed to, I guess, send that clear signal that there is going to be growth. And and, and to the government's credit, that has absolutely been backed up. There's been almost $9 billion worth of investment go into rail in the last, I think, since 2017. So yes, the, the indication is there and the direction is there and the money is there, but who's keeping track of it all and who's sort of in charge and do the back office operations stack up for this growth that everybody is planning and and waiting for. So what now, Emma? I mean, I know that uh, the Minister of Transport, Michael Wood, was pretty angry this week, but are there any promises to try and sort it all out? So there's been a couple of reviews that have been commissioned. One of those is at a governmental level and the other is within Kiwi Rail itself. Um, and that will those reviews will show us, I guess, the timeline of how this event in Wellington happened, who knew what when and, and where the error was. And that will be good to know. But I hope that it also shows, and we haven't had the terms of reference for the government um, review yet, but I hope what it will also look into is a step back from that and just see, you know, are these systemic issues that have been clearly identified in Auckland, were they also in play in Wellington? And is there something to be said for streamlining the the way that these organisations work with each other and the way that, in, you know, invariably rail gets to carry out? Because the, the public shouldn't know that there are all these different organisations, right? The public just wants to know that they can catch a train and go where they need to go. And what does Peter Reedy, as the CEO of Kiwi Rail, want? Well, look, they have not uh, come out and said, we need more cash, because they've actually had a huge injection of cash over the last few years. So Peter Reedy has been quite upfront about the fact that, yes, Kiwi Rail has some internal systemic issues to work through, he says, look, yes, clearly there is room for improvement here and we've dropped the ball by not picking up this error and not escalating it properly and not kind of getting on top of it early enough. So there's been no blame passing from Kiwi Rail. I think what Kiwi Rail um, just wants the public to know and what they'll be starting to push is that, yes, there have been years of this underfunding and they've been tasked with, I guess, bringing everything back up to code and that is going to mean there are disruptions and that does mean that they've got some things to work on. So I don't know, he hasn't said it explicitly, but perhaps um, Kiwi Rail is asking for a bit of grace at the moment. Good luck with that. (laughs) So, any chance we'll ever be travelling on high-speed trains? High-speed rail is not financially viable for New Zealand in terms of, you know, things that go 300 kilometres an hour. But on our track, you know, straightforward, affordable upgrades can give us efficient trains that can go at, you know, 160 kilometres an hour. Queensland already does it. They have tilt trains on our narrow-gauge track that go at 160 kilometres an hour. When I was 14 and went for my first ride on one of those, I was, you know, awestruck by what could be done. On a railway network uh, that looks much like ours in a sprawling state of Australia. Um, One of my favourite
favourite railway experiences was in Norway, an even more rugged country than New Zealand, with smaller population centres. And yet they have these magnificent trains linking each of their major centres multiple times a day, climbing through the mountains, popular, efficient, among everyday people, not just tourists. And it's, you know, it was a fantastic way to see the country, but also it was just, wow, it's easy to get around here. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Flo Wilson and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Emma Hatton and Andre Brett. Mā te wā. 